All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. Anthony Marino, happy to be here with you once again, talking everything Buffalo Bills. And have a special guest in the house with us today from NewYorkUpstate.com. It's Ryan Talbot. Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you joining me, obviously, with uh, kind of a crazy state of where things are today. How, First and foremost, how are you doing? How's your family under these kind of unique circumstances? You know, we're doing great. As good as you can be doing. Um, it's been interesting. Obviously, the kids miss their friends. They miss their teachers and things like that. But we're, we're definitely making the best of it here. I'm kind of teaching them about some of the older uh, original Nintendo games, so they're getting a little extra knowledge there outside of their schoolwork. But, well, you know, we're all doing very well. Well, it's it's good to hear. And as I've been saying on each of our intros to the podcast lately, right, we we realize there's more important things going on than NFL football and chatting about the Buffalo Bills. But hopefully our conversation today can give you a little bit of an escape from what might be going on and a bit of a distraction just to hear about your favorite football team and and everything taking place. So, Ryan, one of the first things I wanted to chat with you on is earlier today it was announced that Isaiah McKenzie was re-signing with the Bills. Uh, did that come as a surprise to you, I guess I would ask? I wouldn't say a surprise. You know, they do have to fill up that roster, and I was actually a little bit surprised when they didn't tender him as a restricted free agent, but clearly they had a plan in mind or a plan in place to bring him back uh, under different terms, under different circumstances. So, uh, you know, there's some risk when you don't tender someone like that, but it, it makes sense because he's versatile. You can use him on offense as your jet sweep guy for gadget plays, things like that. He can contribute on special teams, obviously not as in the return role that he kind of had early in his career with uh, the Broncos because we obviously have Andre Roberts, or the Bills obviously have Andre Roberts for that role. But he, but he can be used in different ways. Um, and then, what, you know, one point that I brought up today is with everything going on in the world, I think this offseason could be shortened in the NFL. Uh, and, and it's important to bring guys that already know your playbook, guys that aren't going to be behind the eight ball. And uh, obviously McKenzie knows the Bills playbook. He can contribute, he can compete for that wide receiver four, wide receiver uh, five spot, depending on what they still do here in the rest of free agency and the rest of the draft. Do you look at this signing and McKenzie coming back to Buffalo as something that could have an impact on what the team does in the draft? I mean, of course, the addition of Stefan Diggs has changed so much, right? When we've talked about mock drafts before and you're looking at the wide receivers who might be there at 22. So, of course, that changed a lot of the expectations. Do you see McKenzie signing back with the team maybe having an impact on what they would look to do at this point? I don't think so. Um, you know, this we've already heard, I'm sure you've heard many times in the last um, few months, that this is one of the deepest wide receiver classes in uh, recent history, at least. So if the Bills are on the clock at pick 54 and there's a wide receiver that's graded higher than else that they have on their board, I don't think they'd hesitate to pull the trigger and add another wide receiver. Uh, that maybe won't make an impact year one, but down the road, you know, he's going to be working with Stefan Diggs and with John Brown and Cole Beasley. So when his when this player's time comes to shine, he can even step right in and take over that role. Uh, a guy like I'm, Isaiah McKenzie doesn't change that. So 
whether it's round two, round three, round four, I, I think the Bills should still go after a wide receiver at that point in this draft just because you could still get a very good player that can contribute sooner rather than later. Ryan, I mentioned briefly Stephon Diggs, right? And how much of a surprise was that to you? I mean, I think when you take a look at this, you know, so many of us, I think we've been spending our time studying those wide receivers that are going to be available in the 2020 NFL draft. And then Brandon Bean goes out and swings the big trade. I mean, what was your initial reaction? And I guess what are your thoughts now, right, that there's been a few days to, to almost let this sink in? Yeah, you know, initially maybe there was a little bit of surprise there just because um, I wasn't sure Minnesota was going to actually trade him. I know that earlier in that day, Diggs had said, no, no, something's different this time. Something's actually going to happen because he was known for posting those uh, cryptic tweets and things like that to voice his displeasure. Uh, at first glance, maybe he doesn't fit the the process mold in terms of the the kind of guy they like to bring in. But you also have to remember that last year at one point they were interested in, in Antonio Brown. So there seems to be a little bit of wiggle room in terms of uh, the type of player the Bills are willing to bring in if it's going to help the overall team, and, and in this case, obviously, the offense. And Diggs, uh, his, his talent cannot be questioned. Uh, over 2,000 yards receiving the last two years, uh, a guy that's going to make life miserable for opposing defenses, especially when you have John Brown opposite him and, and Beasley in the slot. Uh, and then when you look at the asking price, uh, a lot of people were kind of, I don't want to say thrown off, but some people were kind of said initially, oh, they gave up a lot there compared to the DeAndre Hopkins trade earlier in that day with Arizona. But, but clearly, you know, you, you can't judge it based on a Bill O'Brien trade. O'Brien has no idea what he's doing based on that trade, it looks like. Uh, and, and you're getting a guy that's under contract through 2023 with manageable cap pits, maybe eventually that has to get reworked. Um, if Diggs especially has a really good first year here in Buffalo, he may be looking to get some more money and the Bills may be open to reworking that deal. But there there was a lot of elements at play, and those picks that they, they packaged with their number one really only moved them from number 22 to number 18 in this year's draft class. And you're not going, going to get a player uh, that's as polished as Stephon Diggs at number 18 in this year's draft class, no matter how good this wide receiver class is. And I have to agree with you. You look at everything that had taken place, right? And from that standpoint, it is, you know, again, a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick. You think of how the Bills traded Wyatt Teller for a fifth, Russell Bodine for a sixth. I didn't look at this and think that the Bills overpaid in any way, shape or form, right? When you're talking about day three selections um, being packaged with your number one pick. But some people seem to feel that way, and I can't really understand why they feel that the bill's overpaid, and and I've been struggling to to grasp that just a little bit. Yeah, like I said, I think it all comes down to the Hopkins deal. You're looking at what the uh, Texans received in return for a premier wide receiver, when, and it wasn't much. You know, uh, they have David Johnson, who hasn't been the same running back uh, in many years, at one time, you know, 2016 range, he was thought of as one of the best running backs in the league. But that's far from the case now. Uh, and they, they really just didn't get a good return. A lot of people thought that when Johnson was traded, that the Texans would get an additional pick in return just to take on that contract. And it wasn't the case. So I, I think a lot of people are looking at a bad deal that was made by the Texans and trying to say that the deal the Bills made, which was a good deal, uh, was kind of not so good just because of the asking price and what they had to send. But uh, again, I stress you can't judge this trade based on what Bill O'Brien did. He's clearly in over his head in that GM role with the Texans. 
Um, and he was kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know the right word for it, but he was, I guess, fleeced in, in this deal by initial glance. Now, Ryan, the one negative that I see with the Stefan Diggs trade at this time is that it makes our mock drafts a little bit less uh, interesting and exciting than they would have been before. And that's certainly a, a trade-off that I'm, I'm willing to make. But you have a new seven-round mock that you have up at NewYorkUpstate.com. And I wanted to talk through it with you just a bit here because there's some, some moves that you made that I'm definitely in favor of. But I thought it would be great for us to discuss them and, and go through, really starting with pick 54. J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. Tell me your thoughts here, because I've definitely been on the running back train either in round two or round three for some time now, and I just would love to to kind of get your thoughts on this pick. Yeah, you know, I went into it pretending I was doing my best uh, Brendan Bean impersonation, and I used the Draft Network. They have a really good uh, mock draft simulator there, and I was going to take the best player available, depending on who was out there, as long and, and especially if they fit a need. Um, and, and I looked at what was out there, and, and the two or three positions that I was looking at were wide receiver, running back, cornerback, and I guess I'll throw edge in there as well. I didn't like the edge options that were out there at uh, 54 compared to Dobbins, who was available. I didn't like the wide receiver options that were available in, in this specific mock draft that I did. And the cornerback that I would consider at pick 54, uh, Diggs out of Alabama, wasn't on the board either. So, when I looked at all those picks, Dobbins just stuck out like a sore thumb in terms of best value, best player, fits a need. It's that compliment for Devin Singletary. Here's a guy that rushed for over 2,000 yards at Ohio State, 21 touchdowns on the ground, never less than 1,000 yards rushing in his uh, college career with the Buckeyes. So fits that mold of what they need, fits the mold in terms of the, the best value, Great vision, great balance, and, and I, I would just see them being a great one-two punch, Dobbins and Singletary, where you know you can ride the hot hand, uh, and I think opposing defenses would have a really tough time with that duo in the backfield. You know, and one thing I struggle with, and it seems like there's a, a contingency of fans that are against investing a, a high pick in a running back. And I always seem to question it, right? And I realize the conversations around giving big contract extensions. We've seen what's happened with Todd Gurley, Devonta Freeman, Melvin Gordon, amongst others. But with that, when you think of the impact of that the running back position can have on your team, and right now after Devin Singletary, if anything were to happen with him as far as an injury, he goes down. I do not see him as the bell cow back that can get 25 touches a game and for him to maintain that throughout a season so if you were to take someone like Dobbins someone like a Cam Akers and pair them with a Devin Singletary with each of these guys getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 touches a game you've got fresh legs you've got guys that have complementary skill sets I would just look at this as I don't want to just say a no-brainer but as opposed to going out and signing someone like a Carlos Hyde a name that's been thrown out there is, you know, oh, well, you can get him for a couple million dollars, this and that. I would rather see the Bills bring in that dynamic playmaker uh, because they are in a bit of win mode, win now mode, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And usually I'm, I'm the guy that says, go get your running back in those mid rounds like they did last year when you, when you get Singletary in the third, that three, four, five window. But this was a case of a guy just being the best player available, uh, head and shoulders above anyone else that was available in this specific simulation. Um, I'm not against, though, drafting a running back in round two. 
I'm against paying them big money. And for the reasons you already mentioned, you mentioned some of those big names um, that have already been released into their contracts after getting paid that big money. Um, you know, so I'm not against drafting them, keeping them through the duration of that uh, rookie deal. But then, you know, then you kind of have to let them go. So if you get a guy like Dobbins in round two, well, then you have Dobbins and Singletary under contract for the next three, four years before one, one of them have to get paid. Uh, and then you might have to let a single Singletary go and then ride with Dobbins and kind of keep that process going. I'm in the party that you don't pay a running back, but you, I'm not against drafting one starting in round two. Now, Ryan, as I look at the mock draft situations, right, I find myself going either running back in round two or round three and cornerback in round two or round three. In your latest mock, you went with the cornerback in, in the third round. You went with Bryce Hall out of Virginia. Uh, talk to me about him, what made him a bit of an obvious pick for you at this point. Yeah, Hall was a guy that was being tucked up as a potential first-round pick before he suffered a, an injury this year at Virginia, uh, I think about six games into the season. So he's he missed a lot of the year. Now he's kind of being projected as that uh, late round two, round three guy. He'd go off the board anywhere there. He was available in this simulation. He's a guy that I also had as a pick in my previous mock draft, someone that I'm very high on. Um, in that round three range, there are two cornerbacks that I would be targeting, and that's uh, Hall and that's Troy Pride Jr. I'm not trying to jump the gun here a little bit because we were going to talk a little bit about him here in a, in a bit. Um, but those are the two guys that if you're looking for someone that uh, a zone cornerback, someone that kind of projects to be a really good zone cornerback in the NFL, those are two guys that I would be targeting in round three. Uh, they both have good length. They both have shown that they can play, that they have the skill set to play in a zone, which uh, again, the Bills don't play all zone, but the majority of the time they're in a zone, and it uh, would benefit them to add another cornerback into the mix here early. I know they brought back Levi Wallace. I know they signed Josh Norman. Uh, but I don't know if there is a long-term answer for that number two cornerback job opposite Trey White. And bringing in a guy now on a rookie deal where you're going to have to pay Trey White sooner rather than later, the big bucks, uh, I, I think would be potentially a very good move. Bryce Hall has been a popular name with uh, Joe Marino of the Locked on Bills podcast and from the draftnetwork.com. So, right, as you start to see his name pop up in more and more mock drafts as a potential pick for the Bills at 86, uh, you know, you can't help but but like what some of the, the analysis is saying as you look at him as really an option to compete with Levi Wallace and, uh, you know, again, potentially maybe be a starter opposite Tredavious White. Now, let me ask you this question, Ryan, and I do find this as I, I look at the different mock drafts and we've seen the work that Brandon Bean has done over the past two years. You know, the Bills sitting at 54 and 86, even though they've used some of the, the late round picks that they had to acquire Stefan Diggs, couldn't you see him making some you know, I'm not saying trading back into the first round or anything along those lines, but maybe using some of the later round picks that he has to to work his way up to target some of those players as he's done in years past. Oh, absolutely. Again, the, the Bills still have uh, seven picks remaining after the, the Diggs trade. Um, I know you have to fill a 90-man roster, but it's hard for me to sit here and think that some of those day three picks, although the Bills have done a nice job finding some talented players in those areas, I have a trouble right now saying that in 2020 some of those picks would stick on this roster because uh, Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott have done such a nice job since 2017 of rebuilding this roster. Those day three picks that could come in and almost contribute immediately, like the Matt Milano's of the world, 
or the, the day four and day five picks like the Taron Johnson and the Saran Neals who have seen their roles grow. Uh, I don't see though that happening with this current roster because there's just already so much talent. So to package some of those later picks to move up a little bit in those middle rounds, I think is definitely something that Brendan Bean will consider. Now, Ryan, when you put together your mock draft, obviously this was before Isaiah McKenzie um, re-signed with the Bills. But in the fifth round, you took Lynn Bowden, the wide receiver from Kentucky. We know that he's played some quarterback. He's incredibly versatile uh, from that standpoint. Wide receiver, not as big of a need for the Bills at this point with the Stefan Diggs acquisition. But talk to me about what you liked in Lynn Bowden here. Yeah, just kind of everything you said. You know, at the time I thought, okay, Isaiah McKenzie's gone, and a good replacement for him would be Lynn Bowden. Uh, like you said, he played. He had to play quarterback for Kentucky in 2019, and he actually fared decently in that role, but it, it kind of stunted his development a little bit at wide receiver. But he's that guy that as a rookie could have come in and done the jet sweeps that Isaiah McKenzie, uh, you know, we've seen him do so much here in the last two years. Uh, he could come in and be that guy that you could target on screen passes. He could contribute in the return game if something were to happen to Andre Roberts. And you could use him on the gadget plays where you need him to throw the ball, kind of like we saw John Brown do on Thanksgiving where he threw the touchdown pass um, to Devin Singletary. That's another thing where Bowden could have come in and helped in that regard. Now that they bring Isaiah McKenzie back, is is he the kind of wide receiver that I could see them targeting in those middle rounds? Probably not. Um, but... It, Again, it was kind of the best player available at that point in the draft, but Bowden is an intriguing athlete nonetheless. Well, and I think to describe him as intriguing is one of the, the best words, right, is the way to describe him and the different things he can do on the field. Now, two players that have been intriguing for me, and uh, you, you queued up one of them before, and I know you follow Notre Dame football closely, but is Troy Pride Jr., the cornerback for the Fighting Irish, as well as Chase Claypool. And, you know, you look at these two guys and saying, okay, are they both going to be, let's call it, third-round targets for teams that are out there? I, they're two guys that have been very intriguing uh, when you look at things, especially now that the Bills don't have the first-round pick. I'd love to get your take on both of them and, and maybe go with pride first, right, because we probably look at cornerback as a little bit more of a pressing need right now. Yeah, you know, both of them are in that second round, third round frame, in my opinion, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went in the second round. I see them falling more so in the third round. Um, but all it does, you know, it only takes one team to love a prospect for them to kind of move up into that, that range. And I don't think it's out of the question. Troy pride, really good athlete, um, really good length. I already mentioned can be an outside cornerback uh, in the NFL uh, fits that zone scheme Good footwork. I, you know, I watched him play throughout his career. Obviously, you know, the, the um, hips are important, too, if you're a cornerback. And you saw that he could turn his hips pretty well at that in that area as well. So I'm always looking when I'm looking for these cornerbacks, zone, zone, zone. And again, I know the Bills don't play all zone defense. They do play some man. Um, but Pride, like I said, and Bryce Hall would be those two guys where if they fell into, into round three, I, I would pounce. Um, Arnett, another guy from Ohio State, maybe is another target. But Pride is a guy that I think fits what Sean McDermott wants in terms of a cornerback. Uh, I think he's a solid tackler. I think he's a process guy. I think he can come in and he'd be a good locker room presence as well. So he checks all the boxes in terms of what the Bills, I think, will be looking for uh, in a cornerback in this year's draft class. 
Ryan, talk to me a bit about Chase Claypool. You know, here's a guy that I think is, again, if you're if you're a talented receiver that comes out of Notre Dame, of course you're going to get a lot of recognition. Six foot four, two thirty eight, really had a, a great showing at the NFL Combine, right? Running a four four two forty yard dash, over forty inches on the vertical leap, one twenty six inches on the broad jump. But right now, everything I see has him somewhere around that third round, and and I don't understand why. Um, talk to me a little bit about Claypool and and you know where he might end up in the draft. Yeah, it's just such a deep class. You know, one of the latest mock drafts I saw from uh, Mel Kuyper, I think he had five, maybe six, go in the first round. Um, and, and there's going to be teams that just they might just hold off on the wide receivers just because there's so many of them where they feel like they could get that value. And that might cause some of them to kind of slip a little bit. Like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if he went in round two. Um, it's kind of funny because after Buffalo lost in the playoff game to the Texans, I went out to eat with uh, Matt Perino and Marcel, uh, Marcel, the, the Bills beat writer for ESPN there. And we were kind of talking about Buffalo's need for a wide receiver. And I was on that hype train uh, that night for Chase Claypool. I said he has the size that the Bills need. He has the speed this, that, or the other. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit before the combine, you have these teams saying that they would like to see him maybe as a tight end in the NFL. They think he could be a, a nightmare uh, mismatch. And let me let me just say right now that if he ever does transition to tight end, he would be uh, a nightmare for opposing defenses because of the size, the speed, the vertical that we saw. But I think he, he answered a lot of questions at the combine that, you know, no, he's, he's not a, a tight end. He can play wide receiver in the NFL. Now, did he play as fast as that 40 time that he displayed? No, he, he didn't play that fast at Notre Dame. But it, what really hurt him, though, was the quarterback play. There was there was very inconsistent quarterback play. Um, that led to some bad passes that maybe he couldn't haul in. It probably led to his stats suffering, where if he would have had a better quarterback, uh, maybe he would be higher up in this draft class because I do think that he can do just about anything in terms of the side speed, uh, go up and get those 50-50 balls. I think he's going to be a great value pick for someone. Even if he goes in round two, I still think he's going to bring value sooner rather than later to that team. But he would be a guy that I think would, would fit what the Bills want. I mean, go back to that playoff game. They targeted Duke Williams um, 10 times or more in that game. And Duke made some good plays. He had some costly drops that uh, he probably could have hauled in. But in terms of what he's missing, he's not the athlete that a, a Chase Claypool is, and he doesn't have that speed. But Claypool brings the size, the ability to fight for the ball, Duke does a lot of things that a Duke Williams uh, does, but does it a little bit better. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills were targeting him either in, in round three, uh, but maybe they love him too, and maybe they're he's a guy that they would target in round two. Ryan, as we talk about some of the needs for the Bills, I mean, as you look at things, do you expect them to make any other moves in free agency at this time? Or do you think based on where they are with the cap, the signings that they've made, of course, the trade at this point, that they're probably standing still somewhat until the draft? Or do you think there's some more areas that they could address at this time? Well, I, I definitely think there's still some areas they can address. I just really think right now, Brendan Bean's in the wait and see mode. He's waiting for the asking price for a lot of these players to go down. So maybe it's a compliment at running back, and right now the asking price is too high. You know, you mentioned Carlos Hyde, Lamar Miller's still out there. Those are two guys that maybe if their price tag goes down, um, he, he, they might be in on. You know, they, they've done some due diligence on, on some of these running backs. Um, I, I know for a fact, and it was nothing serious, but they, they at least uh, 
had called the agent, I guess would be the best way to say it, on like a Dion Lewis. They, they looked at him a little bit, but it never really developed into anything serious whatsoever to the point where I never even uh, sent out a tweet, never wrote an article on it. It was just kind of seeing what's out there, seeing what these running backs are going for. But I think that if, if there's a running back that kind of fills what they're looking for and the, the asking prices in their range, I think they could go that route. Um, there's still some interesting edge rushers out there. Um, but I, I think maybe that's something you attack in the draft because they're, they're, that's an older, older edge room or defensive end room for the bills right now where you see, you know, Jerry Hughes is in his early thirties only signed on through 2021. Trent Murphy's in the final year of his deal. And I still think you keep him around at least through camp, see what he can do. I know a lot of people like if you cut him, you save this much money. Well, you don't have to do it right now. There's nothing that's saying to do it right now to save that seven, eight million, however much it is. Um, but he, you know, he's entering the final year of his deal. Mario Addison was the big splash that they made, but he's going to be 33 at the start of the season. So they need to get younger in that regard. So maybe if there is a younger edge out there in free agency that they like, they could try to to bring them in. But I think that's an area that you address in the draft. Cornerback wouldn't surprise me, uh, whether it's an outside cornerback or someone to come in and compete with Taron Johnson for that nickel role. Um, maybe there's a backup quarterback that you bring in to compete with Matt Barkley. Uh, so, you know, you're right. The, the money, it's starting to dwindle down a little bit. But the, so they have to be smart with what they have left. But they have to fill a 90-man roster. So, yeah, there, there are still guys to be signed uh, out here in free agency at this time. Ryan, let me ask you one more question before I let you go. And it, this doesn't really tie into the bills, but it's one of those examples of why I am not a general manager in the NFL. Earlier in the year, um, I was an advocate thinking that the Bills should have made a trade for Jadavion Clowney when he had his holdout with the Texans. Eventually, he went to the Seattle Seahawks. And right now, here we are a week into free agency, and he doesn't have a team at this point. And you're really not hearing a whole lot out there other than one you know, minor rumor, I guess, that the Dolphins had an offer to him in the neighborhood of $17 million a year. Clowney declined, and then they opted to pursue Shaq Lawson instead. I mean, from your perspective, is what is going to happen with someone like Clowney? Is he just too has set the bar too high, I guess, for himself and what he's expecting to get as a contract goes? It, it might be, and if you're turning down seventeen million, you know that kind of speaks volumes. If if that report or rumor is true, um, obviously, I think he went into it looking for twenty twenty plus. And I just don't think the market was there for it. I mean, talent, all the talent in the world with this guy, but he's had injury issues. Um, he, maybe he gets the pressures, but it's not showing up in the sack column, things like that. And I, I think that hurt him a little bit. And right now, you know, either he's going to have to bring his asking price down and he might have to accept an offer that's less than what Miami offered him, or he might just play the long game and he might wait it out and wait to see what happens this offseason with other teams in terms of, when training camp eventually begins across the league, whenever that may be, is there an injury to a team that a contending team where they lose um, their star edge rusher or things like that? Then maybe he feels okay. And there, there we go. I'm going to get that one year deal, big money from whatever team that is, and I can kind of try to reestablish my value, go out on the market again next year. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but I, I think he overplayed his hand, and he's kind of sitting around here now. And I don't know how much of a market's left for him at this point in time. Just crazy to think, right, what uh, what could have been and, and just things with Clowney. 
obviously something to monitor and no expectations that he would be uh, coming to Buffalo anytime soon. So, Ryan, as I let you go, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work, anything you might be working on at this time, and let everyone know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. You can find my work at NewYorkUpstate.com and at Syracuse.com. Working on a few different things, pulling it together, some commentary across the league in terms of grades for the Bills and free agency. Uh, Matt and I will obviously kind of shift gears here soon, focus more on the draft. We're going to take a look at the big picture, though, the AFC and the AFC East in terms of the Bills and where they stand coming uh, pretty soon here in the near future. So a lot of content coming your way. Ryan, it's great to have you join us. We always appreciate you uh, spending some time, and we'll catch up with you real soon. All right, thanks.